0: And you're listening to Unusual Sources here on 93.3 CFMU-FM, broadcasting to Hamilton at 93.3 on the FM dial, and the rest of the world at cfmu.ca. It's no longer cfmu.mcmaster.ca, and the new website is accessible on all digital platforms that we know of. So uh, we're really excited to be able to offer uh, not only Hamilton, but the rest of the world our digital content. Uh, Today, I'm going to be speaking with Danny Hai and he's a Vietnamese-American activist and political analyst in the Boston area. He writes for Black Agenda Report and other publications, and we're interviewing him about a very recent article about The Intercept. Um, I think we have Danny on the line. Uh, Danny, thanks very much for joining us on the program today. Thanks for having me. Well, I've just got my tablet out here, and I'm pulling up your article. It uh, has uh, the nice title here, the intercepts attack on the oppressed is why I write and yes we certainly have an issue of the intercepts coverage not only in uh, this month's reporting but in the uh, past five years I would say uh, on Syria Uh, you've chosen to focus on um, particular problems uh, a very problematic approach that the intercept has adopted uh, recently Um, and uh, We can talk about that, but I thought you had a very interesting opening premise. Um, That is, uh, people have been coming up to you and asking you, you know, why do you write? Why do you do all this writing for Black Agenda Report and stuff when there's so much organizing work to do? And um, (laughs) it just seems to me you you can't even know what to do in terms of organizing if you haven't analyzed the issues. Um, You know, and on an issue like what U.S. foreign policy and what they're doing to other countries or what they're saying about other countries, it's extremely important to know what's going on, isn't it?
1: It is. There is a profound state of political confusion, I feel, in the U.S. and the Western world in particular, the imperial centers of the world, and that has necessitated, I think, a more intense need for political education and uh, for those who have been studying the issues and who have been also organizing, because I believe that those who study these problems, uh, unless you have no problem with them or benefit from them, you're most likely compelled to want to do something about them. Uh, So I believe that writing and political education, as writing and media activity often falls into, are deeply connected to organizing. So what we see now is that there is such a state of political confusion on the ideological level in the U.S., in the West, that the, the issue and the question of Syria as well as Many of the wars, the vast war machine that the U.S. and the West oversee, are are not really on the agenda of of much of the of uh, much of what calls itself the political movement today. So, you know, I so I feel like it's a pretty ridiculous statement to even uh, attempt uh, to justify the the need for one action over another. In this case. Um, some other form of political activity or writing, I think that there shouldn't be no uh, explanation required as to why we need a whole a multitude of activities and uh, uh, people who are partaking in them around, around these crucial questions that, that ultimately, uh, you know, point to class struggle and, uh, you know, the need for a revolutionary transformation, which, which takes a whole, a whole lot of strategies to carry out.
0: Yes, uh, certainly there's been an upsurge in activism in the last few years, but it, it does seem as if we're starting from ground zero in terms of uh, political theory. Um, and as you point out, it, it is a time of profound political confusion, and perhaps we, we can get to that in, in more detail later, but I thought we'd, we'd talk about your article, um, the article addressing claims made um, in The Intercept. I think your article was uh, very timely. Um, a few people have written about this particularly egregious article, and I'm glad that people react so quickly now and wish that we had been able to do so five years ago when this all started. Um But uh, your article, uh, you're you're talking about a very disturbing article. It's by um, Miriam Elba, and she's trying to conflate support for Syria's sovereignty uh, and self-determination with support for white nationalism and fascism. Uh, it seems to me that a large part of the basis for her argument is that the Syrian government is trying to build a so-called monolithic society based on ethno-nationalism. So, you know, it's a society that is, you know, quote, spiritually, socially, and politically, and quote, uh, brooking no diversity. Um, and uh, so, I mean, that's what she's putting forward. I'm wondering, uh, even even there, isn't there problems with that argument?
1: Yes. Uh, there's there's so many problems with the argument i mean there's so much that I expect from this particular piece, which I feel Mary Melber wrote in order to um access a lot of the benefits of all of this clickbaity material that is disseminated online by so called lefty journals and uh sources which are you know are uh, are seeking to have a headline as well as content that will draw as many readers as possible into their website. And I feel like what is done here in this piece is that Mariam Alba makes this conflation between Assad and Syria with white nationalism to take advantage of this upsurge, um, which has two sides to it, this upsurge against Uh, white nationalism and white supremacy in the United States. On the one hand, you have Trump's uh, over, in the Trump administration, uh, over rhetorical white supremacy and white nationalism in terms of political language, which has angered many people. And then you have the other side of it, where this idea of white nationalism is looked through such a narrow lens that it is ultimately used to demonize any political alternative to the system as a whole. It becomes a smokescreen for um, what is actually happening uh, beneath the surface with the entire imperialist system. So she does something that's very convenient and will get her a lot of uh, readers and will be very popular on social media, for example, where social media is also controls a lot of content and um, upholds... Uh, things that talk about how terrible Russia is, how terrible Syria is, while suppressing a lot of content that attempts to defend these states from imperialist attack. And we could go on and on and on about about the the ways that, that Alba does this.
0: Well yeah, I mean uh, this is not it's not unique what she's doing and you see the whole US media, the liberal part of it saying, you know, Trump is like Kim Jong-il or, you know, Kim Trump is like uh, Syria, like Assad. Trump is like whatever we don't like. Whatever, you know, everyone hates Trump. So uh, he's like um, the other bait noirs of the United States. And they make these false comparisons. That's, that's part of it. But it's, it's even more disgusting, as you point out, because many people are rightfully upset with what Trump's supporters have been doing with their marches and their racism and so on. Uh, but Elba uh, is trying to turn this disgust against Trump. Uh, not against the U.S. state, the powerful Trump administration, but against a country that's being uh, targeted by that powerful state. Uh, So they're smearing the nationalism of an oppressed country as if it's equivalent to the conditions of political decay that exist in the United States.
1: Right, and this is a critical problem because it exposes the level of political development among those who are reading this and accepting it as fact. I mean, when you have someone who is claiming an Arab nationalist state, a state that Stephen Gowen claims and and proves uh, very, uh, in in much detail, uh, that arose from uh, the national liberation movements of the 20th century, which had its tar had their target of as uh, imperialism. That's what they were targeting. Uh, colonialism. Syria used to be a, col- a French colony. Uh, not many people like to mention that when talking about Syria when they have uh, war maneuvers on their mind. Uh, so what's happening here is that this, this notion of fascism, this, this notion of white nationalism, these ideas are becoming meaningless um, because folks like Elba and The Intercept and all these pseudo-left journals have decided that it is okay to completely distort history and uh, outright insult oppressed people all over the world who have uh, formed national liberation movements like Syria and have similarly won power. And those that do not have power to determine our destinies that are still struggling against imperialist forces, basically insulting, demeaning, and ultimately uh, uh, forwarding just another variant of white supremacy against oppressed people around the world by saying that they're rightful leaders and that they're rightful uh, political parties that they have decided are best to... Uh, create a more just future for them are somehow fascist and white nationalists. And we should, you know, source check what Elva uses, uh, the sources that she uses in the article, where one of them uh, is an Atlantic article that uses a fellow named Ephraim Zuroff, um, the executive director of a large Israeli NGO. This Zionist NGO um, is pretty notorious for basically acting as a public public relations um, organization for the crimes of the Zionist state of Israel. The same figure also served as an advisor for the Rwandan government right after the uh, so-called genocide that occurred there, where he was assisting the government of Rwanda under Paul Kagame in figuring out how to commit a genocide in the Democratic Republic uh, Republic of Congo, which Black Agenda Report talks a lot about, and how that genocide has murdered uh, 6 million Congolese since 1996 uh, with the help of U.S and uh, Western aid, as well as Israeli aid, to that government. So, to the Rwandan government. So, to equate uh, the Syrian government and the Syrian people with white nationalism and fascism is quite ironic, given the fact that she uses a white nationalist and imperialist and arguably a fascist to justify her arguments, while completely ignoring so many of the corporate sources that have basically uh, proven her, her argument completely wrong, whether we're looking at the New York Times, Reuters, BBC, everywhere, and the corporate press has had pieces here and there detailing how the U.S. and its Western partners, as well as its uh, Gulf Monarch partners, have been the primary bankrollers of the jihadist and, and terrorist support. Uh, for those forces that are wreaking havoc in Syria. And we can go on and on and on, but the biggest issue, in my opinion, is how ALBA and the Intercept have negated history and have uh, attempted to suppress the legitimate and genuine um, history that everyone should know about countries around the world and people around the world that have successfully fought back against imperialism or are trying to defend gains that have been made, real material gains. Syria was one of the most developed nations in that region, free health services, free education. I've met Syrians who fight here in Boston who have told me, you know, they got their doctorate degree for free, and they can't understand why the United States makes doctors spend almost a million dollars just to get an education. So... Uh, you know, it, not to mention the solidarity given to Palestinian and Iraqi refugees who have been the victims of war uh, for for decades. So all of this is completely negated, and instead we have a narrative that is not just Elba's. She's using one that has been used by many sources uh, that call themselves the left Jacobin. We can go on and on and on about these the various sources, but these so called left sources have. Adopted a narrative that uh, basically says that any oppressed people that fights for their self determination can at any time be called a dictator, a brutal dictatorship, a human rights violator, a genocide, or, as we see now in twenty sixteen and on with the Trump administration, fascist and white nationalist. Just another way to brand what a lot of imperialist victims have been called. Um, in order to justify their, their destruction.
0: Well, of course, that is, in fact, what's happening. And you look at uh, countries that have a proud history of resistance to imperialism, to white nationalist, you know, U.S. white supremacist imperialism, talking about countries like Vietnam or Korea or Cuba or Zimbabwe and others, including Syria and Libya. And in, in all cases, they're called, you know, dictators and tin pot dictators, including by people who think they're leftist they use chauvinist language uh tin pot dictator strongman authoritarian oriental despot etc they paint that picture meanwhile these are countries trying to get out of a yoke of colonialism uh syria being among them and of course the forces that are fighting against the syrian government uh the the ones backed by the west openly are the ones that fly the three-star flag of the colonial mm-hmm. administration so the the people fighting to overthrow the syrian state are holding up the flag of the colonial French Syrian entity. They're saying, This is what we want to bring back. We want to bring back a Syria that is prostrate and under direct Western control. So we have to be especially sensitive to these issues because, despite all the, you know, in the academy, the talk about post colonialism and how to be sensitive and everything like that, we are entering uh, or we are in a, a pronounced, uh, pronounced period of neo colonialism where there's the reoccupation by the West of, of countries, you know, like Libya, for example, and they're, they're in Syria now as well. And they want to change these governments. So, you know, we need to stand up for these countries that have a legitimate right to defend themselves and to have borders and militaries and sovereignty and so on. And all of those things are are demonized in, in ways that it, if, it, I mean, let's face it, if ISIS or Al-Qaeda were operating the way they do in Syria, but in some neighborhood in the U.S., if they're in Cincinnati or something, all of these liberals who are cheering them on would be screaming for, you know, helicopters to go and, and destroy these people. Because, you know, they are invading and setting up a, an ethno state. Uh, and the Syrian government is pluralistic. It, in, in Syria, you can be Sunni, you can be Shia, you can be Christian, you can be other ethnicities. Uh, and, and that is not what the anti-government rebels believe. They believe you have to be like them or you will have your throat slit. So uh, somehow, though, in this formulation uh, by uh, El- Elba, uh, it, it becomes that the Syrian government is the force for ethno-nationalism and fascism and so on. Uh, presumably, so what? what is the other side fighting for? Well, she's created this formulation, among others, that the Syrian government is fighting... Um, against cosmopolitanism it's fighting against cosmopolitanism well the supposedly cosmopolitan empire that's attacking syria right now is using sectarians religious sectarians against syria so i mean that's you know uh that's what they're fighting. And is this the cosmopolitanism that they're fighting? I mean, they, they're they just making stuff up and pulling stuff from the demonization of Russia and conflating Trump with whatever they mm-hmm. don't like. And so that's the unfortunate uh, situation that we're in now. Uh, you had said earlier that uh, we exist in a, in a period of profound political confusion. I thought we might elaborate on that. It seems to me, I'm just guessing at this point, but I mean, in, in terms of anti-war activity and so-called left activity, it seems that there's been a, a replacement of the narrative on uh, colonial liberation, anti-colonial struggle that was there in the 60s and 70s, very inspiring, and lots of things happened. Uh, Material gains we're still trying to protect today. That's been replaced with this ideology of liberal human rights where Mm. they'll scream about a country using force to defend itself as a justification to bring in the colonial power directly to, you know, remove governments.
1: Yeah, definitely. The big turning point, I think, in this towards the confusion that we are currently experiencing was, I think, the fall of the Soviet Union and the reduction of the socialist bloc. And the reason why I say this is because, you know, beginning in the late 1970s, the U.S. and the West began to experience an economic crisis of capitalism that uh, created a desperate need to expand in all regions of the world where it had been unable to, because of the presence of the Soviet Union as well as China, um, the socialist bloc had effectively blocked 30 uh, percent or so of the planet from imperialist penetration, and that could no longer stand in a time where profits were sagging and new markets needed to be found, and so. The Soviet Union fell, the U.S. Was, and, and its partners were able to extend into much of Eastern Europe as well as uh, Africa and, and, and big parts of the Middle East and Asia and whatnot. And what this created was a need by the ruling class to, uh, and the war makers to concoct a new narrative that would justify these wars and... Um, ultimately uh, make them palatable to people who had uh, opposed these wars in the past. For, uh, the draft had ended after Vietnam, and now there needed to be a new narrative to justify expansion. And One of these narratives, along with the war on terror narrative, has been, as you say, the liberal human rights. Dogma that we hear a lot about humanitarianism, and this ultimately uh, it was built upon by the Demo- by successive Democratic Party administrations from Carter to Clinton, but Obama really sewed uh, the deepest I feel um, buttons into this narrative and, and, and entrenched it into all left political discourse by. Um, arguing to the international uh, community, the United Nations, and to all countries of the world that the U.S. had a right to protect that humanitarian intervention would be the model that the United States and its Western partners and its Gulf partners, et cetera, et cetera, would pursue around the world and nearly every um, initiative, war initiative that the U.S. undertook under its administration justified in that way, the most uh, blatant uh, example being Libya, where the Obama administration justified the destruction of an African country because of humanitarian grounds, And, and what that did was unleash this whole jihadist network that we see operating in Africa and making its way to Asia, even and across Europe, and even into the United States, it unleashed something that is uncontrollable. But this narrative of humanitarian intervention infected the left deeply. It it distorted consciousness, and because a black president, as well as, um, uh, you know, a president who was deemed as as the hope for progressivism in the United States, was saying it, uh, it was okay. And this has not change under the Trump administration precisely because the crisis has only become worse in the United States and the Western world. The economic situation is becoming um, almost untenable for most people. Inequality is at its highest. And the world is moving away from the United States in very tangible ways, the U.S., share of the global economy is shrinking and so these wars become even more important as large sections of policymakers in Washington believe that uh, a war with Russia, which Syria is a very big piece of, is a huge component to reestablishing U.S. military and economic hegemony in the world. So what we're seeing is this narrative Uh, infecting all forces in the United States, paralyzing them, disabling them from uh, organizing around uh, these questions. And, you know, uh, it's it's shameful, really, that The Intercept would continue because this isn't the first time that The Intercept has supported uh, regime change and wars that the United States, the CIA, and, and all of their intelligence partners have been, trying to indoctrinate into us is not the first time, but it certainly is a a new way to spin it when we're talking about connecting um, an Arab nationalist state along with its allies who have done nothing but try to accommodate the imperialist powers. I mean, no one wants to talk about it. Elba certainly didn't talk about it when in 2012 the Syrian people voted on a referendum that only further opened up the state to opposition forces um, in order to maintain stability. And she is also the what about the elections that the Syrian government had, multi-party elections, that uh, the Ba'ath Party and Bashar al-Assad won almost 90% of the vote. But because Syria is a white national state, it's a fascist state, the conclusion is that those elections are shams. Yet in the United States, every single election is basically a sham because it's controlled by the rich, and the rich decide. But now Washington has no idea what to do, neither does the entire imperial imperial system really know what to do, when that sham didn't work out in its favor this time. Now there's the Trump administration, there's Donald Trump, unpredictable, not the primary choice, basically somebody who most of the ruling class wishes didn't get as far as he did, now he's there, and they have to deal with both the consequences and the benefits of that, and the consequences are pretty dire, uh, given the fact that he's a huge blemish on the U.S. exceptionalist um, worldview um, around the world, and so the world is, is, is picking up even more steam in terms of moving away from the United States, and That's why we hear him talking about annihilating Korea and the DPRK as well as ratcheting up with Iran while the Senate and the House work on strangling him around Oregon, Syria, and Russia. It's it's a complete picture that we have to, to really
0: see. Yes. I mean, the neoliberal order this order of corporate globalization outsourcing offshoring and so on it's getting harder and harder to sell which is why if you run someone like hillary clinton against trump trump can win uh even Mm -hmm. though they're both profoundly unpopular and deeply flawed and deeply disturbed individuals and you know it brings us to the bigger problem that you addressed which is uh I mean, the United States, this U.S.-led order is really um, starting to decay in a relative sense because there are countries that are emerging as economic powers or economic centers. You can talk about China and the links it's making with the rest of the world. You can talk about Russia recovering, India, uh, other situations. Uh, And of course, the United States wishes to prevent the emergence of new trade routes, overland routes, energy routes, trade relationships, and and so on. And I mean, that's a large part of what these wars are about and what this last 15 years of this, this war on terror Have been about, which is to prevent, you know, the emergence of a a new world, and uh, they're they're really struggling desperately. And and as you pointed out as well, um, a lot of countries have been fighting for their independence against the United States and its allies in Europe. And um, the the problem is that they're running out of easy wars because Mm. countries like Syria can fight back with the help of the Russians. Countries like North Korea can develop a a nuclear weapons program. And uh, that places us in a situation of even greater danger, uh, at least here, because of of Mm -hmm. these can escalate out of control. It's really a time when, more than ever, we need a critical left, a left that's very critical of the ruling Mm -hmm. class propaganda and what's being said. And instead of that, you get what The Intercept taking... Taking what the talking heads on TV are saying and magnifying it, saying, "Oh yeah, the, the Syrians are just like that that Trump government everyone doesn't like." Uh, so uh, Assad is Trump. Well, no, actually Assad is not Trump. And you know why? Why would you say that? And if if you're going to say that, why why do we read the intercept? I can just open the New York Times, or <laughs> the Washington Post. I mean, there's a few stable or reliable publications, thanks to people like you. We have Black Agenda Report, and and there's stuff like that. Out there which have been good this whole time and of course Black Agenda Report predicted you know um, a lot of things about that election and uh, you know just how deeply malfunctioning or dysfunctioning that system is and how there's so much misleadership or non-leadership in the organizations that are supposed to be resisting this Uh, so you know I thank you very much for the work you're doing you've been uh, a very consistent writer for that publication Um, and you know you've been covering uh, the Syria and the total Lack of analysis, you know, by what, what calls itself the left, and just uh, mm. ca- capitulation to demonization and orientalist ah. concepts and so on. Uh, so um, that you know, that's very appreciated among the people that are watching this situation. So I mean, we can all, of course tell people that they can read you and your upcoming articles in the future. The current one we're discussing, of course, is uh, in relation to the intercept. It's, so it's called the the intercept's attack on the oppressed is why I write, uh, and that's from, I think, the 20th of this month. We'll put a link to it on our online distribution of this, but I know we'll, we'll hear more from you on that and that we can expect pointed uh, criticisms of lazy coverage and, and um, in fact, coverage that makes things worse, like that the article in The Intercept and, and similar kind of discussions. So um, I, I thank you again for bringing this all to our attention.
1: No problem. I appreciate you having me on.